There's only one light. Do you know where you are? Step in through the doorway. What a sign, it is creaking. We see your lost soul with our wandering eye. There's only Darkness is creeping. There's only one light and a chill in the air. We promise you stories for one night only. Come closer toward us, lend us your ear if you dare. Hi there! Welcome to Wondering Eye Curios. We've got all sorts of interesting and unusual items for you to browse, and each one has a story, so don't be afraid to come and ask. It might be best to avoid touching things if you're not sure what they are, though, just in case. Ah, but I can already see the gleam of a question in your eye. You've come here for something specific. Perhaps something to do with that nautical star tattooed on your hand? You know, I've always been interested in sailors' tattoos. If my memory serves me correctly, the star indicates a sailor's ability to always find their way home. Though, I can't claim to be an expert. I need to brush up on my tattoo symbolism one of these days. So, it's books you're looking for, huh? But what topic? Sailing seems too... obvious. Mm-hmm. Ah, okay. Superstitions. Well, that's certainly more interesting than a book on nautical knots. Probably not as necessary, but definitely more interesting. In fact, you might be in luck. I was checking this stack of books here into our inventory only this morning, and I'm sure I saw... Yes! Here it is. Sailing Superstitions, Do's and Don'ts for Anxious Seafarers. Let's have a quick flick through and we'll just check everything's in order. I just want to double check for any damages. Right. Okay. The perils of bringing bananas on board. The dangers of sailing with women, which words to ban in order to stop this ship from sinking, why you should never set sail on a Friday, reasons not to kill an albatross. Well, uh, I'm not sure I've ever had to consider a reason not to kill seabirds, but if you're interested, it looks like this book will tell you. Some of these uh, seem pretty old and, well, outdated. Of course, if you're afraid of your ship sinking, there are other ways to try and cheat the unpredictability of the ocean. See this here? This is a tintinabulum. It's pretty typical in its bell shape and the fact that it's made of metal. You can see the carvings are pretty similar to any art that you might think of from a sort of uh, ancient Roman period. The way it works is the same as a wind chime. 
The idea being that you hang it in the doorway and the sound it creates dispels evil spirits. Pretty sure you don't want any evil spirits hanging around on your boat. Just saying. It's hard not to imagine uh, why there's so many superstitions when it comes to the ocean. I mean, you think of that fact that despite hundreds of years of sailing and charting, we've still only discovered about 5% of it. There could be anything down there. Just thinking about it gives me the heebie-jeebies. Not only that, but the idea of being at the mercy of nature, miles from solid ground, somehow just doesn't appeal to me. But then I'm pretty scared of deep water, even though some of the coolest things live down there. If I didn't have to live down in the darkest depths, I would totally want to be reincarnated as a bioluminescent squid. I challenge you to find me a cooler animal. Though there is that three-eyed shrimp which can see in colours that we can't even imagine which I guess would be pretty cool too. Although, you know, shrimp aren't exactly the same calibre of beasts of the deep as squid are. Especially when it comes to giant squid. Or colossal squid, which unlike their giant cousins have yet to have been captured alive. Even the giant squid was only caught on video in 2006. These largest of the mollusk family are silent predators, lying in wait for their prey. They use their two longest tentacles like harpoons, shooting out to ensnare their writhing meal and pull it back to be ripped apart by its beak. Yep, <laughs> that's right. Squid have beaks. Much like human nails, the beak is made of keratin and it sits at the centre of its ring of tentacles. A terrifying final sight for any fish. I think you'll agree. The colossal squid is thought to reach up to a combined body and tentacle length of 14 metres, which is just over the length of one and a half London buses for perspective. It has the largest eyes of any animal, is the largest invertebrate on Earth, and floats deep under the surface around the Arctic Circle, doing its best to avoid sperm whales and elephant seals, both of which are its natural predators. I wonder if it's possible that perhaps some of this has brought another tentacled behemoth of the deep to mind. I imagine it's a name you'll recognise. After all, what sailor worth their salt hasn't heard of the Kraken? Hark back only a few hundred years, and even the mere mention of this fearsome mythical creature would instil fear into even the hardiest mariner. From the poet Tennyson to Clash of the Titans, this gigantic cephalopod has been a source of inspiration around the world. Though it's not in Greek myth that we find the origins of our fearsome beastie, Norwegian folklore lays claim to that particular honour. According to Norse myth, the kraken is described as a mile-long octopus or squid that causes fish to flee and delights in sinking ships. Stories claim that the first sign of a kraken is a rush of fish and other sea life to the surface as they try to avoid the giant rising from the deep. And if a flood of terrified creatures isn't enough, even if your boat manages to somehow survive its tentacles crushing grip, it will probably just be pulled down in the whirlpool that forms in the kraken's wake as it makes its way back to the ocean floor. 
Evidence that the Kraken has been striking fear into the hearts of sailors for hundreds of years can be found in Icelandic texts from the 13th century. 400 years later, in 1735, zoologist Carl von Linn included the Kraken in his encyclopedia Systema Naturae as a real creature under the designation Cephalopod with the scientific name Microcosmus Marinus. Von Linn admits to never having seen the creature himself, but believed it to inhabit the seas of Norway. There is evidence to suggest that the Kraken was initially portrayed actually as more of a giant crab or crustacean, as opposed to the octopus or squid-like appearance it has become synonymous with. The likelihood of there ever having been a cephalopod that rises to the surface in order to crush boats and feed on sailors is slim to non-existent, especially when you consider the behaviour of the giant squid, the animal most likely to be its real-life counterpart. Giant and colossal squid are solitary creatures, which, as we've already said, are ambush predators with endless patience and no apparent desire for contact with humans. With their large eyes and bizarrely shaped bodies, it's easy to see how these creatures, if accidentally hauled up along with the rest of a fisherman's catch, could be construed as something otherworldly or supernatural. Even today, marine biologists have been faced with the alleged claim that octopuses originate from outer space. Alas, our eight-armed friends have not been proven to be extraterrestrials as of yet. Possibly the most infamous literary iteration of the Kraken is H.P. Lovecraft's Call of Cthulhu. Written in the summer of 1926, Lovecraft's short story was originally published in the suitably named pulp magazine Weird Tales. His description of the sea monster gave rise to the idea of it having wings, and is said to have been inspired both by a dream he had and Alfred Tennyson's poem succinctly named The Kraken the imagery of which cements the creature as a kind of ancient slumbering sea-god which can only be killed by the wrath of Judgment Day itself. It's not hard to see how the danger and unpredictability of sailing the open ocean, especially when it meant no contact at all with anyone other than your crew until you next reached dry land, and the ease with which a whole ship could disappear, seemingly swallowed by the endless blue, led to the rise of myths and monsters. It's thought that underwater volcanoes near Scandinavia could be to blame for the bubbling water and fleeing fish which supposedly announced the Kraken's presence. We knew even less of the ocean back then than we do now, and it's easy to see how staring down into the unfathomable depths, the mind could conjure up any manner of monster to fill it. In times gone by, when mermaids lured unsuspecting sailors to watery graves, and sulkies shed their sealskins to hide them from prying eyes, the world had space and imagination for creatures of eldritch proportions. Maybe somewhere out there, deep down on the ocean floor, there still is. Well, I've talked your ear off for long enough. I'm just going to go and find something to wrap the book in for you. It's a little battered already, and I think the one page at the back might be stuck together with some kind of ink, but 
We'll keep it in one piece as much as we can. Back in a minute. I'll send Meg out to keep you company while I'm gone. Hello. I believe you're the sailor I'm looking for. Can I get you a drink while you wait? No? Well, Jasper won't be gone too long. I overheard what you were talking about and thought of something else you might like to look at. This here is an old map of the world and, yeah, those are sea monsters. That's not the kind of map you would have taken with you if you were setting sail, but it would have made a beautiful decoration in a stately home. Map makers, or cartographers, often chose to place illustrations of sea monsters in the gaps where they didn't yet know what actually existed there. Well, it's just as likely to be a terrifying sea serpent as anything else. One of the most in-depth examples of a monster map is Olaus Magnus Carta Marina. Originally from Sweden, Magnus created his map while staying in Rome between the years 1527 and 1539. This particular map covered northern Scandinavia and the ocean to the west. The details are elegant and artistic, but it's not the tiny mountain ranges and intricate coastlines which are the most appealing bit. No, just a glance at the watery left side of the map reveals a whole array of terrifying creatures. Even more alarming, Magnus believed that all of them were real. And he wasn't alone. There was a trend among Magnus's contemporaries to believe that there was an oceanic equivalent of every land-dwelling animal. Think sea bear, sea pig, seahorse. You get the idea. Not very inventive, I know, but you can't really blame them. Not only were they trying to contend with accounts from sailors of bizarre imaginary creatures, but their descriptions of the real deal were pretty confusing too. In Magnus's map, he lists a drawing of a giant lobster as an octopus, among other strange illustrations of sea creatures we would recognise by name, but perhaps not from their appearance. The rich history of sea monsters goes far beyond the borders of any maps, though. Two of the earliest and most famous nefarious ocean dwellers, as depicted in Greek mythology, Scylla and Charybdis are the monstrous children of the Titans and the gods. Charybdis, supposedly the elder of the two, is the personification of a giant whirlpool which viciously sucks water in and out three times a day and was believed to control the tides. In some versions of her story, Charybdis started life as a beautiful goddess who was transformed by Zeus after stealing cattle which belonged to his favourite son, Heracles. In another variation, the goddess's punishment at the hands of Lord Olympus happens after she helps the sea god Poseidon to flood the land and increase the size of his kingdom. Scylla, on the other hand, takes monster to a whole nother level. Described as having 12 feet, six long necks, each one with a head attached, mouths filled to the brim with razor-sharp teeth, Scylla clung to the jutting edge of a rocky outcrop using her long necks to reach out and snap unsuspecting sailors right off the decks of their boats. The cliff's proximity to Charybdis's swirling vortex meant that passing boats were pushed towards the rocks. 
so for some ancient mariners, it became a fun choice between drowning in a terrifying whirlpool or being eaten alive. In some iterations of Scylla's myth, she's made out to be Charybdis's own daughter by way of Forces, an old sea god who is depicted, rather unimaginatively, as a large mermaid. There's a story which tells of Scylla, before the whole six-necked man-eating monster thing happened, falling victim to the schemes of the witch Circe, whose name you may recognise from her penchant of turning men who found her island into pigs. In this case, both Scylla and Circe fell in love with the same man. Glaucus appears for all intents and purposes to be a boring mortal fisherman who didn't really deserve the attention of either. But since he fell for Scylla, and Cersei took it personally, it was our monster-to-be who got the short end of the stick. In an epic move which defies the notion of girls supporting girls, when Glaucus came to ask Cersei for a love potion to win over Scylla's affections, pretty creepy, mate, just woo her yourself, Cersei instead gave him a concoction that transformed Scylla into her iconic sea monster self, free to take out her wrath on men for the rest of her mythical eternity. But we don't have to look to myth and folklore alone for strange and scary sea creatures. In fact, some of the worst offenders were far too real. The largest shark to ever swim the ocean was the Carcaracles Megalodon, or just Megalodon for short, or just the Meg if you're partial to a Hollywood blockbuster. Luckily for us, the Megalodon went extinct 3.6 million years ago. However, it had spent the previous 13 million years terrorising the deep. This oversized predator grew to between 15 and 18 metres in length and was one of the largest fish ever recorded and most likely snacked on large whales and other sharks. In other words, if the shark in Jaws had been a Megalodon and not a great white, it probably would have swallowed the entire boat down in one go. Not the kind of wildlife you want to meet on a midnight swim. But lucky for anyone who does fancy a dip in the ocean. According to experts, there's no way a shark of this size could have possibly survived without us knowing about it. So I guess that's one less thing for you to worry about. And of course, we should talk about the fact that because everyone is intrigued by sea monsters, and it would mean big bucks for anyone who were to find one. There have, of course, been those who fancied faking the odds in their favour. I'm talking about hoaxes. For the Victorians, anything not seen as inherently British was seen as exotic and worth paying money to look at. So-called freak shows drew huge crowds, but as interest in the current lineup waned, the minds behind these circuses had to think of new ways to keep the public coming back for more. And none were craftier than P.T. Barnum, a notorious showman of incredibly dubious moral standing. Barnum did whatever it took, buying, stealing, kidnapping, faking, in order to exploit people and use them to make a fortune. In 1842, at Barnum's height of popularity, three highly regarded American newspapers printed articles on the strange and rare Fiji mermaid. Barnum used the articles as printed proof of the validity of his newest acquisition, 
the mummified corpse of a mythical creature, never seen before by human eyes. Using the top half of a humanoid skeleton, about the size of a toddler, and the bottom half of a spiny-tailed fish, Barnum's mermaid amazed all who gazed upon it, including contemporary naturalists who continued for decades to believe that the mummy was the real deal. In reality, the Fiji mermaid was undeniably a fake. It turns out the hoax was created by a Japanese fisherman around 1810 and was an example of early taxidermy created by stitching the upper bodies of apes onto the lower halves of fish. But there you go. Showbiz often isn't as glamorous once you peep behind the curtain. Well, that was quite a tangent. So how about it? Do you fancy the sea monster map as well? Yeah? Just roll it up and grab one of those elastic bands from the pot. I'm going to see where Jasper's got to with that book of yours. Jasper? Jasper? Was that Meg calling me? Ah oh, well. I'll see what she wants in a minute. Here you go. One book, nicely wrapped. Or, as nice as I can make it. <laughs> Oh, you've got the map as well. I do hope you'll come back and let us know if you see anything strange when you're out at sea. And do remember not to take any bananas on board. And also, you know, don't go killing any albatross. Honestly, I, I think that's probably a great rule for everyone, not just sailors. Until next time. See you soon. Wandering Eye Curios is brought to you by myself, Jasper Chanter, and my co-host, Meg James. The podcast is scripted and performed by both of us and produced by me. Music is scored and performed by Amy Marianne, with lyrics by myself. Our intro song, For Better or Worse, is sung by us. Find us on Instagram at Wandering Eye Curios and over on Twitter at Wandering Eye Pod. Stay spooky, friends. Until next time.